Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar Johnson. Today, we are doing part two of our wrap up of the 2022 NBA draft. So I am here, of course, with my co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, are you ready to get into some other highlights of the draft after we got out of the first round yesterday? Incredibly excited. Always excited to talk draft and dive even deeper than, you know, we than we necessarily normally do then we necessarily have to. I mean, this is NBA deep dives, right? We have to dive deep into exactly. the second round. So we're not going to quite do the blow-by-blow, pick-by-pick breakdown here, but we are going to go through some of, I think, the more interesting second round selections. And we're going to start with someone from University of Michigan, of course, because you're you know co-hosting here. So I wanted to start with Caleb Houston, the 32nd overall pick in this draft, going to the Orlando Magic. I think with... Caleb Houston and with someone else who we're going to discuss in a little bit, it seemed like there might've been some kind of a first round promise. So it was interesting to me that he did fall to the second round, but you know, clearly a very highly valued second round pick as the second selection in the second round. And honestly, I like this pick a lot more than the previous second round selection, Andrew Nemhart going to the Indiana Pacers with the first pick of the second round, but you have Michigan guy. So your thoughts on Caleb Houston here at the 32nd overall pick. I, I really like it for both parties. I, I don't think Houston's going to be asked to do really much of anything as a rookie. And I think that's going to be really important for him to kind of adapt to NBA speed and refine that shot. Um, you know, just the day of the draft, he was one of those guys where I was like, you know what, screw it. Let me just dive into some of his film again and just, just go over some stuff. And I really liked what he did on offense, the way he moved without the ball, attack closeouts, got to the rim, uh, you know, in just past, I thought it was all really impressive. And just an example of someone who really understands how to play basketball. If that shot would have fallen, like we all kind of anticipated it would, I think he would have been a lock at for a first round. Um, but it didn't. And that's kind of what he's pegged as. He's not a great athlete. So if that shot doesn't fall, then it's going to be tough for him, but I think it will. I think the mechanics are sound. And I think once the shot really, you know, cu- finds its level again. Um, I think we're going to be talking about a guy who returns really promising value. So we're actually going to go right into the next pick. Of course, immediately breaking my, <laughs> we're not going to break down every pick in the second round philosophy from a few minutes ago, but Christian Coloco out of Arizona going to the Toronto Raptors 33rd overall. This pick makes a ton of sense. And I mean, you were talking about Coloco as a potential pick at 22. So I have a feeling that you like this pick a whole lot for the Toronto Raptors as I did, but your thoughts on Christian Coloco 33rd overall. Yeah. The, this pick made almost too much sense. It's like, Oh, the Raptors mm-hmm. need a center. Okay. Here's this Uber athletic Uber long center who moves really well. Awesome. Okay, cool. It's just going to fit into everything they do already. Um, yeah. I, I would have taken Coloco in the first. I really like him. I think his, his defensive impact is absurd. Um, opponents shot 10% worse at the rim when he was on the court than when he was off. Uh, that's that's a pretty good differential. Um, he's really composed, great that's verticality, <laughs> doesn't chase blocks, moves his feet really well. Uh, not the quickest of feet, but really does a great job of using his length to uh, bump slashers off their route so they have to take a little more rounded route uh gives him that extra step to recover and then turn away their shot 
And then I think there's a little bit more for him on offense. Um, I think he's got decent touch. I don't think he's a three-point shooter. Um, I'm not going to rest or bet bet on a guy who uh, shot that well in a combine drill after shooting three total career uh, three-point attempts. Um, If he shoots it, awesome. But if he doesn't, it doesn't really change my opinion of him. I think he's an incredibly reliable defensive center who's got a little bit of vertical spacing, rim-running offensive upside. At 34, the Oklahoma City Thunder selected Jalen Williams out of Arkansas. There's already a Spider-Man pointing meme between Jalen Williams (laughs) and Jalen Williams, which is just so fitting. But up next at 35 is someone who you were a lot higher on than where they ended up getting selected. And someone else who, like Caleb Houston, seemingly had a first-round promise that didn't really come through, but ended up going to a fit that I think makes a lot of sense for them. So Max Christie at 35 for the Los Angeles Lakers, ultimately, what are your thoughts on this pick and Christie following the Los Angeles Lakers here? I I thought it was an incredible pick. Um, Kind of similar to Zhang. I said Zhang was going to be a disaster as a rookie, and I kind of expect the same from Max Christie. And it's also not going to turn me off on his long-term potential because what he needs to do, his two biggest weaknesses right now are that he's too skinny. He needs to get stronger. Shocker. He's a teenager who needs to get stronger. Never happened before in the NBA. Um, And the game's a little fast for him right now, but that never deterred him from trying or improving or working at it and communicating. All of that stuff was there and visible every game. So I'm really encouraged about what he could be in the 3 and D potential of him moving forward in the long run. I don't think he's going to really help their, you know, title aspirations in the short term. But if he's a long-term piece that they're willing to, you know, develop and grow and mold into one of these 3 and D wings, I, I think they're going to get an incredible return from him. So we have to discuss the next pick because this is someone we both had a first round grade on who ends up continuing to bolster the draft night hall for the Detroit Pistons. Gabrielle Prochita is the pick here at 36 and man, (laughs) what a night for the Detroit Pistons. Honestly, I mean, incredible. If he's half the player that we think he is, this will be a huge get for the Pistons in the second round. So I yeah, think I know I, your thoughts, but your thoughts here. <laughs> it just, it was perfect. Everything the Pistons did on draft night was absolutely perfect. And it's just really reigniting my early 2000s fandom for them. Um, <laughs> I'm pro immediately improves their off ball shooting and immediately improves their athleticism. The, the amount of athleticism that the Pistons got in this draft is shocking. Um, I'm, at six seven, almost six eight in shoes, I think Prochita is one of the best off-ball shooters in this class. Uh, one of the best wing athletes in this class. I think he's a solid defender. Um, he's not going to make any All NBA defensive team, but he can jump passing lanes. He can hold his own. He's competitive, and then his size makes up for any other shortcomings. Um, and then offensively, he can attack closeouts. He can hit movement threes. He can dunk on guys at the rim. I absolutely love this pick he may i'm not sure what their plans are for him i would love for them to just kind of bring him over right away and either just put him in the g league or put him on a two-way and kind of have him bounce between um i i think bringing him over and getting him assimilated to you know their team's culture as soon as possible is the best thing for him um but it'll be fascinating but 
I, I absolutely love this pick, and I, I easily would have taken him in the first round. Man, Cade Cunningham grab and goes with Jaden Ivey, Gabriel Pachita on the wings, and Jalen Duran as the big man. <laughs> it's yeah. so much fun. Just so much fun. It's going to be perfect. All right. Up next, the Sacramento Kings traded this pick to Dallas, which I certainly liked a lot less than their other draft night move, namely the Keegan Murray selection that we talked about in part one, but Jaden Hardy ended up being the pick here. And I think he makes a lot more sense situationally in Dallas than he would have in Sacramento. But I mean, certainly someone who, you know, you would have thought had higher value heading into draft night. I mean, I never ended up dropping Hardy out of the teens on my board. I did drop him out of the lottery ultimately, but I had him at 17th. So, you know, this is pretty good value here. And Again, I certainly like the situation for him a lot more in Dallas than I would have in Sacramento, but this move certainly I thought was more questionable for the Kings than their first round selection anyway. Wait, for the Kings? Yeah, no, this well, one he was. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. The, the I, pick was by the Kings, and they moved. See, this is what happens with draft night trades. God, Everything goes crazy. Just, I, just make these official immediately. Oh, God. Okay, sorry. De- derailing things. Okay, um... Yeah, and I, I had Hardy at 19. I thought <laughs> I was really surprised that he fell this far, and I love that he's falling or going to Dallas. Um, I think that fit is perfect for him. And the conversation that kind of surrounded him was really similar to the one that surrounded Ivy, and I didn't get it at all, where somehow these two guys got put into the bucket of that they have to have the ball to succeed. And that didn't make any sense to me because when Hardy looked his best is when he was off ball and when he was running off screens and, you know, using those pin down screens to initiate a, into a, a pick and roll is his off ball movement that spurred the on ball success. Yes. There are flashy, um, you know, step back threes and ISO stuff. And I, I thought he ended up running a really good two man game down the stretch of last year, but I think he was at his best and his shot looked at, at its best when he was off ball. So when he's now obviously going to a place where he is not the guy and he's going to be playing mostly off ball, I think that's going to be a really good situation for him to kind of slowly develop his offensive game and adapt what he needs to, to kind of counter um, the, you know, the, the next step up in athleticism and defense that he's going to face. So Kennedy Chandler was picked by the Spurs at 38. Khalifa Jop was the pick by the Cleveland Cavaliers at 39. I want to talk about Bryce McGowans, who was the 40th overall pick, ended up going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Somehow, after everything I've said about Bryce McGowans this draft cycle, he ended up being drafted lower than I had him on my board, which definitely is not something I would have expected to say in December or January. But I think this is a pretty solid situation for him. I think he could have certainly gone to a lot worse situations, but... I was a little surprised that there was a gamble on Blake Wesley in the first round and not a gamble on Bryce McGowan's in the first round. But what are your thoughts on Bryce McGowan's here at 40th overall? Uh, so I, he, he's going to Charlotte. Um, oh, okay. See, now but, it's my turn to screw up the draft trades. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's going to Charlotte via Minnesota. I, 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 he was one of those guys where I thought he was going to get a bet on in the first round. Uh, a six, eight dynamic scorer. I really liked how he attacked the rim and kind of altered his shot selection as the year progressed. The shot wasn't falling. I think it will eventually. It's still kind of a low release, so I'm not sure how much of a shooter off the dribble, you know, he'll be. 
but if he can, he's going to be a project because there's still a lot of, you know, bad habits mentally, both on offense and defense that he's going to have to iron out. But if he does kind of smooth some of those rough edges over, it wouldn't totally shock me if he's a 20 point per game scorer one day. The biggest surprise of the second round in my book, anyway, the 41st overall pick, the New Orleans Pelicans selected EJ Liddell and I don't get this. <laughs> I mean, I had Liddell at 18th and I think there's got to be something, you know, injury wise behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of because it stuns me that he fell this far. I mean, him falling from the teens to the twenties, you know, okay. I get that him, you know, being an early thirties selection, like, okay. I would have thought that that was, you know, a little lower than his value, but okay. But him falling all the way to the forties was stunning to me. And I think the new Orleans Pelicans got an excellent player who can fill a lot of gaps for them at the 41st overall pick. So I'm assuming that EJ Liddell is going to be one of the people in this draft who dramatically outperforms his draft position. But yeah, this was, this is the biggest stunner for me on draft night was just how far he ended up falling. And I think the Pelicans got a really good player here at 41st overall. This made no sense to me. Um, I I have no idea what showed up in his medicals if something did. Um, I would be stunned if it was a character concern because by all reports, he's an incredible leader and person and worker. So I don't think it's that. Uh, My only guess is that teams aren't buying the shooting improvement that he showed. And at that age, they're like, eh, he's too small to be a five and not mobile enough to be a four, especially if he can't shoot. Um, I, I think there are going to be 40 teams that really regret letting him fall this far. I wanted the Timberwolves to take him at 19 and then at 22 <laughs> and then at 26 and then at 40. And alas, here we are. Um, so it, it was incredible value for the, for new Orleans and just, you know, God, it, it great pick. I absolutely love that fit for him um and and them so 42nd overall pick trevor keels going to the knicks i believe they're holding on to that so you know that's that's a pretty decent get for them on draft night given that they traded out of the lottery 43rd one of our mutual favorite players musa diabate going to the los angeles clippers i love this fit i think that he is going to be absolutely unlocked on the defensive end with this squad i think the fact that his offensive game is more of a project is going to be Totally fine with the Los Angeles Clippers and the depth that they have, particularly on the offensive end. So I love this fit, and I think he has a very good chance to be one of the steals of the second round if he if he develops into the kind of defensive player that I think we both believe he can be in the longer term. Yeah, I adore this. I would have considered him in the first. Uh, incredible physical tools, maybe the best motor in this class. I think he's going to be an incredibly versatile defender and the sooner he hits that you know level the better and then you just think about implementing that with paul george and Kawhi and terrence mann it's like oh my god this team is going to be scary versatile and long and athletic so you know the the big thing for him is that he still doesn't really know what he's doing on the court and a lot of it is just natural instincts and physical ability but I think that coaching staff and that organization is a great spot for him to land because there are some really incredibly smart coaches and developmental staff over there who have developed 
a lot lesser talent into really impactful NBA players. So speaking of excellent fits, the Golden State Warriors purchased the 44th overall pick and select Ryan Rollins. And I mean, his shot creation ability, his scoring ability on this Golden State squad is scary. And man, I mean, I wasn't as bought in on him as some no ceilings people who had him as like a middle of the first round kind of guy, but Mm -hmm. this kind of value at 44 for this kind of team, I think there's every reason to believe that Ryan Rollins will spend year one, spending a lot of time in Santa Cruz and year two will be already something pretty special as an NBA player. Maybe I'm buying in too much because it's golden state, but I think this is just a wonderful fit for Ryan Rollins. And I think that if he's going to go anywhere to maximize his ability, this is a pretty good spot for him to end up. Yeah, it is wild that they a, that a team that's spending almost half a billion dollars on their payroll is spending a few million to move into the second round and buying picks. I I love the fit. Um, I, I he landed like right at the end of my first round um, in terms of you know big board rankings, but the the, the offensive feel, the playmaking, the mid range scoring. I think the shot eventually stretches out to three pretty reliably. I, I think it's a perfect spot for him to land and for, you know, just another really smart player for the Warriors to kind of develop and mold into a player who can contribute in a bunch of different ways. 45, the selection was Josh Minot, made by the Charlotte Hornets, traded, I believe, to the Minnesota Timberwolves, Correct. although it might have been moved 74 more times. Okay, <laughs> great. I am right on that one. So Josh Minot is a Minnesota Timberwolf. Tyler, your thoughts? Okay. Um, I, I, <laughs> it, it, he, he's a home run swing. If he works out cool. Yeah. Um, the fact that he's telling NBA teams that he viewed himself as a shooting guard really worries me because his shot is broken, broken. Um, the physical tools, really impressive, really, you know, hopefully versatile defender, good rebounder. Um, why John Hollinger had him as his 10th ranked prospect will never make sense to me any advanced stats with him, I think can be thrown out the window because his role was so inconsistent and minimal at times that I don't think it really applies. And when you extrapolate his numbers to per 36, they look incredible. That's an incredibly flawed process though. So I, he's a ball of clay that hopefully molds into something really promising. Um, he's a lottery ticket. So I'm, I'm not holding my breath on him becoming anything special, but if he does, I guess I wouldn't be totally shocked given how some people uh, view him. Number 46, Ishmael Kamagate. Number 47, Vince Williams Jr. going to the Memphis Grizzlies because, of course, he is. I wanted to talk briefly about number 48, Kendall Brown, mm-hmm. who is going to Indiana after a trade. He was someone who, you know, certainly for the early portion of the season, I had ahead of his teammate, Jeremy Sohan, who ended up going ninth. So a bit of a gap there by the end of the season. I mean, Kendall Brown fell off pretty hard towards the stretch run of the season for Baylor, but I think 48 is excellent value for him, given the flashes that he did have and you know, given the playmaking he showed and given his exceptional cutting, I think Tyrese Halliburton is going to love having him in the fold. But your thoughts on Kendall Brown ultimately falling to 48th in this draft? It felt a little aggressive of a fall. Um, and I kind of yeah. get it though, but it's weird since he was a guy that a lot of us had in our top 10 at one point. Um, and, you know, that was after a month or two of basketball had been been playing too. So 
it, it was a weird fall, but I kind of get it. Um, he's just kind of more of an athlete than a basketball player right now. And it sucks to say, because a lot of what he does, especially the cutting, um, I think is incredibly impressive and incredibly fun, but he doesn't maximize his athletic tools on the defensive end at all, where he would get beat on back cuts, miss rotations, you know, his block steal and rebounding numbers were way too low for someone with those athletic gifts. And then he was just so unconfident in his shot where he would just pass up open looks regularly and not even look at the rim. So he's got a long way to go. Um, kind of similar mold to Josh Minot where it's like kind of just a lottery ticket here. If he hits, if he finds some confidence in his shot, if he learns how to kind of challenge guys at the rim more consistently and really go after rebounds, then we're talking about a guy who's going to be a regular rotation guy at least, but there are a lot of ifs there. So up next at 49th, and then we'll speed through the remainder of the second round, unless you have anyone in particular that you want to highlight, but Isaiah Mobley joining his brother on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Isaiah was someone who I had in the high 40s rather than the low 40s, so not too far of a difference from where I had him on my board. But, I mean, I think that I bought into his defense as a power forward more than most people. I think he's more of a power forward than a center, and certainly in Cleveland, he's probably going to be playing a lot more power forward than he might in places with fewer big men. So, I don't know. I mean, I think that he can be a pretty solid rotation player in the NBA and that's a pretty solid get with the 49th overall pick. And, you know, certainly Cleveland has previous experience with his family. That was positive. I would say with Evan Mobley being the third pick last year. So, you know, sort of, again, going back to the human story level of this, I think it's really cool that they got to play together again, but you know, beyond that, I think the basketball fit with Isaiah Mobley at 49 makes a lot more sense than some of the other guys that could have gotten at 49. But you weren't as high on Mobley as I was. So what are your thoughts here? Yeah, and I, I wouldn't have taken Mobley this high, but given the family ties, given the way they kind of structured their front court last year, it, it makes sense. Um, he, he is versatile. He is skilled. Uh, he is really mobile for his size. So like you mentioned, he can play that four. Um I'd be kind of surprised if he played really much at all next season because very few second rounders ever do as rookies. So, you know, that's just an indictment on his position going into it, not necessarily him as a player. But I I, I think the family ties here were kind of a a big selling point for them too. And it it makes sense. You you, you want to keep your young star happy. And if by reuniting him with his big bro is the way to do it, then there, there are a lot worse ways to do it than the 49th pick. So unless you have someone else that you want to discuss in the 50s, I feel like I have to discuss the last pick in the draft. So the last pick in the draft, Hugo Besson going to the Indiana Pacers. I think that, you know, his defense is going to be a struggle if he comes over and plays in the NBA. But I think there's enough to like on the offensive end for me to think there's a chance that he could ultimately be a rotation player in the longer term in the NBA. As some of you who read my article on why I write about the NBA draft might know, I buy into the final pick in the draft way more than I should every single time because of my adoration of Isaiah Thomas. But I don't know. I think Besson has more of a chance to at least be a rotation player than certainly some other players who've been selected with the last pick in the draft. And I mean, he was someone who I had an early second round grade on for most of the season and had some really impressive moments for the New Zealand breakers. So what are your thoughts on Hugo Besson here as the final pick of the 2022 NBA draft? 
I, I actually kind of liked some of his defense. I thought he worked really hard, uh, fought through screens, um, just pick, would pick up guys full court. So I, I think defensively he'll be able to kind of direct the majority of his energy to that. And then offensively, I don't see him doing much besides being a spot-up shooter, really. I was really underwhelmed by what he showed in terms of playmaking and kind of on-ball ISO creation for himself. It all felt very straight line, very simplistic, and the shot kind of struggled off the bounce. But in Milwaukee, he's never going to be asked to do any of that ever, literally ever. So all he's ever going to be asked to do if he gets minutes is, hey, go be obnoxious and defend this guy full court. And then when the ball swings to you at the top of the key or in the corner, make an open three every now and then. So I I, I like it. I was kind of surprised he fell that far. Um, and in terms of the last being the last pick, you know, I, I think that's a really good value for Milwaukee. You're right. That pick is going to Milwaukee. I mistakenly said Indiana earlier. So again, draft night trade, screwing it up. That's, that's a tradition here, but Hey, you know, in terms of, you know, only a couple screw ups on <laughs> my end and only the one on your end, I think we did. All right. We're not perfect. Huh? Far from it, especially me. I am <laughs> way far from perfect. Anyway, so before we wrap things up here on this part two and on our 2022 NBA draft coverage here on the NBA Deep Dives podcast, wrapping up season six here before maybe some summer league stuff to start off season seven. But I just wanted to talk quickly about some of our favorite and least favorite draft halls. And I don't want to give grades. I don't want to say anything as precise as winners and losers, because again, we haven't even seen these players in summer league yet, much less on any sort of NBA court, but you know, we had our evaluations going in and some teams certainly, I think did better in terms of how we would evaluate it than others. So, you know, too early for concrete evaluations, I would say, but you know, we have thoughts, we have thoughts. We've been covering this draft for a decently long time now. So I think that we would both agree that one of the teams that looks the best coming out of this draft night is a team we've discussed a number of times on that front, the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, they they easily had my favorite draft. I loved everything they did. They addressed glaring holes. Um, They got three of my top 18 prospects and they improved their athleticism. They improved their shooting. They improved their depth. It was a masterclass in drafting and you know maximizing asset value um and then just i love that they went and got jalen duran and that young center and didn't decide to kind of pursue the route of giving deandre eight and a max contract because a that contract could be matched and hey now you're still centerless and then b if, if it doesn't get matched now you have a guy who's really kind of hamstringing your cap and reducing your flexibility of what you can do as a young team, as that young team, just bringing in inexpensive freakish upside. I think that to pair along with Kay Cunningham, who I think has easily proven that he's the real deal and going to be a star in this league. I I thought it was an absolutely perfect draft. Yeah, they were definitely my favorite draft haul of the night as well. I mean, you know, Jaden Ivey was the third prospect on my board. They got him at five. And mm-hmm. Jalen Duran, they gave up very little to get a 
18 year old center on a cost controlled contract as opposed to, you know, potentially paying a max for DeAndre Ayton. I think that that's a much better use of your assets personally, you know, taking a chance on Duran and, you know, if he's going to work out, I mean, getting to run alongside Cade Cunningham and Jay Nivey is going to make Jalen Duran's job, particularly on the offensive end, very easy early on. And then, you know, I didn't quite have Gabriel Pachita in my top 18 as you did, but I had a clear first round grade on him and them picking him up with the 36th overall pick is I think fantastic value. And that team is going to be so much fun to watch next year, whether Pachita comes over or not, but certainly if he does come over, that's, going to be just so much fun to watch them in transition i love everything that they did on draft night i think they had a wonderful night overall and it's i can't think of another team that i would rate higher in terms of the haul that they got on draft night than the detroit pistons but i'm curious what other teams do you think let's go with maybe your second place team since i think we both agreed that detroit probably had our favorite draft halls of the night who was your second favorite draft night hall I really liked what Houston did, um, mainly with Jabari Smith and Tari Eason. I thought they got two really good pieces that complement Jalen Green offensively. And then what their upside is as perimeter defenders, I think, is obscene. And pairing those two together, you know, four years from now, they could be one of the best per- or just defensive duos in the league. And I don't think that's really that absurd of a statement because. Tari Eason has historic playmaking num- or defensive playmaking numbers where if you filter um, on Bartorvik by his block and steal rates, only like two or three other pro- play- college players have ever reached those marks ever since, well, I guess since 2008. So not ever, ever, but since 2008, which is as far back as the database goes and is a healthy, you know, sum of time now. And then just... Jabari's ability to move on the perimeter and switch multiple positions and then be this lethal off-ball shooter if that ball handling develops and he does become into or turn into someone who can do more on ball now we're talking just about crazy versatility up and down that lineup and then just bringing in Ty Ty with pick 29 it's just incredible value and a player who can play on or off ball has a bit of playmaking to him just a steadying presence. So I I just really liked what the Rockets did. Yeah. I think Houston probably had one of my favorite draft halls. I was going to say probably my third favorite. My second favorite draft hall is, I don't know. It's so much lower stakes, but I feel like golden state with the assets that they Mm -hmm. had did a fantastic job on draft night. I mean, you know, coming into the draft with the 28th overall pick, you don't expect to get someone who was a top 10 talent heading into the year. They got that in Patrick Baldwin jr you know, buying into the second round at pick 44, you don't necessarily expect to get someone with the potential on ball equity of Ryan Rollins and they got him. So, you know, that's a lower stakes draft, obviously, than the Rockets given they had three first round picks and the third overall pick. But I think given the assets that they had, the Golden State Warriors did a fantastic job right after winning the championship. The rich continue to get richer. Another team whose draft I think was, I don't know. I mean, I don't like it as much as either of the three teams that we talked about so far, but I think Oklahoma city ended up with a sneaky good haul on draft mm-hmm. night. I mean, them getting Chet at second is obviously something that I thought was a very good pick for them. You know, that's, I don't think I need to say much more given that he was the number one prospect on my board and Usman Jang, I was slightly lower on, but I think of all the teams to take a swing on him, it made sense for them to take that swing. You know, they gave up some future assets, but lottery protected picks. So, you know, not going to be 
the number 11 overall pick, obviously. And then Jalen Williams, I think, can fill a lot of holes for them. So I thought that made a lot of sense as well. The other Jalen Williams going 34, I wasn't quite as high on. And I know that you have thoughts about the other Jalen Williams that we don't need to get into here. But, you know, ultimately, I think given the assets that they had and the assets that they moved, I was pretty happy with what the Oklahoma City Thunder did on draft night. Yeah, I, I thought they had an awesome draft. You know, um, Chet obviously is enough where even if they completely whiff on the other picks, you know, they got what you and I both view as the best player in this draft. Then they added two really high field, versatile, good passing um, players in the Jalen Williamses and took a home run swing on Usman Jank. So I, I thought overall they just did a really good job of adding depth and kind of lottery tickets to their roster. So, yeah, I, I'm right there with you with Oklahoma. All right, so now let's quickly talk about some of the draft night halls that we were not as pleased with as some of the teams that we just discussed. Again, same caveat applies here that we haven't seen these guys play summer league, much less NBA minutes, and therefore mm-hmm. we could be very wrong about all of this. And certainly this is the section that I think fans will be more likely to clip than you know saying positive things. But the New York Knicks, I'm just going to start with them. I thought that the Usman Jang trade was not as bad as some people thought. I thought that them trading out of the what they ended up getting at 13, basically just to offload Kemba Walker, was not not the best decision on their part. So, you know, again, I think them trading out of 11 was not too bad. Certainly could have been worse, but them trading out of 13, I just, I mean, it's a move to clear up cap space. Obviously, you know they're offloading Kemba Walker, but. I thought they could have made a lot better moves to free up space than the ones that they did end up making on draft night. And so now they're taking a huge bet on free agency, which unfortunately, sorry, Knicks fans, but that has not worked out too well for the New York Knicks in the past. And given the free agent class available this year, I don't think it's particularly likely to work out for them again this time around. So, you know, I think the trade out of 11 got a lot more scorn than I necessarily would have given it, given that they picked up three future firsts in that move. But their draft night haul overall, I thought was very disappointing. Yeah, it kind of seemed like they had a couple guys that they were really keened in on in the first where they were, and then they weren't there when their pick came around and they viewed what they could potentially do in free agency as more valuable. So from that standpoint, I kind of get it. Um, I, I just think there was there were a lot of guys there who could have helped that rotation at a pretty high level and pretty quickly. So I kind of understand their thought process if I'm gauging it right. Um, But I don't necessarily agree with how they executed it. All right. Any teams besides the Knicks that you were a bit down on their draft holes? Um, The Miami heat. I just only coming away with Jovic. I, I don't love, um, And then the Memphis Grizzlies, I thought they reached really severely on both their guys. You know, obviously they went up and got their guys. Uh, I kind of hate that saying because why, of course, they're their guys. Why would an NBA team not draft someone they were high on or liked? I just, I hate that. Um, But I I, I think those, I I don't know. I, I don't see the value or those guys returning that same value necessarily um maybe maybe Laravia does just given his versatility but i think he's really got to improve 
on making that consistent impact, um, you know, possession by possession. The Roddy one was just, that was a wild swing for me, but he's fun. Hopefully he hits, obviously we never root against these guys, but it was just in terms of value. Um, I would have gone different directions. So obviously I disagree with you about the heat, but that's fine. It's not like we haven't beaten that dead horse a number of times by this point in the draft evaluation process. I'm with you on the Grizzlies. I mean, they've had a few years running of really great drafts, so I find it harder to doubt them than some other teams, Mm -hmm. but I just, I don't get the Roddy swing and to give up on D'Anthony Melton, who they clearly had given up on this past season as he fell out of the rotation. I thought that he was a better player than they were giving him credit for this past season in Memphis. I think, you know, that's a really solid pickup for Philadelphia. And even though they didn't actually pick anyone in the first round, I thought they had a pretty good draft night by getting D'Anthony Melton in return for that 23rd overall pick. And I mean, clearly they believe in David Roddy a lot and clearly they believe in him a lot more than I do because I agree with you. I thought that was a wild swing by them at 23rd. And, you know, again, as we said in part one, you know, maybe this works out terribly for us and we end up getting mocked in the future for not buying into David Roddy. But yes, exactly. As you said already, we always want these guys to succeed as much as possible. We always want these players to do as well as they possibly can in the situation they end up in. And we're always cheering for these guys. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But of the selections of the 30 selections in the first round, I think that the one that I am least of a believer in is the David Roddy selection at 23rd overall. So, you know, again, given how successful they've been in the draft in recent years, it's hard to bet against the Memphis Grizzlies, but I was not a fan of the decisions that they made on draft night. Yeah, same. Um, And then just two other teams that kind of underwhelmed me, let's say. Um, Obviously, the Timberwolves, I went in enough depth on that. And then the Pacers is just okay. I I don't see how they made themselves significantly better. you know, unless they really start moving some of the guys they already have in place in their rotation. I think Matherin's a good off-ball scorer. I don't see the upside. Some others are pitching, and then I think Andrew Nemhard's a really good backup point guard. But with Halliburton and Brogdon already there, how many point guards are you really running out there on a nightly basis? So I, it, it was a fine draft. I didn't hate it by any means, but I don't see how they, you know, vastly improved their team. So I'm higher on Matherin than you are, but I mean, ultimately this is the first top 10 pick the Pacers have had since 1989, if I'm Long remembering time. that correctly. Yeah. And so for them to take a player who's decently safe, but not that much of an upside swing, given how their last season fell apart. Yeah. Fair. I don't know. I mean, I like the Matherin selection for them decently but i think they could have taken more of a swing there certainly given that shaden sharp went the pick after i mean if shaden sharp works out then that's probably going to sting a bit for pacers fans obviously the guy that they wanted most in Jaden ivy went the pick before them so there's you know literally nothing that you can do about that but i also really did not like andrew nemhard being the pick at 31 it's not that i don't think he can be a decent backup point guard because i do think he can be a decent backup point guard but i mean 
I would have rather taken a number of the players that went immediately <laughs> after them. I mean, I would have rather taken a swing on Caleb Houston. I would have rather taken a swing on Christian Coloco. I would have rather taken a swing on Max Christie. I obviously would have rather taken a swing on Gabriel Pachita or Jaden Hardy. And even Kennedy Chandler, who went 38, I think was a much better selection for San Antonio than Andrew Demhart going to the Pacers. So, you know, again, it's not, uh, I don't want to say I thought it was a bad draft. You know, I thought it was yeah, okay, but underwhelming for me. Yeah, I thought they could have done a lot better with the selections that they had. Yeah, exactly. I, I I don't think they whiffed or, you know, if we were doing grades, I wouldn't give them an F or anything. It was just like, a yeah, like, this is fine. All right. So anything else you want to go over here before we wrap things up? I don't think so. This was this was a fun year. This was a really fun class, and I think it's going to return a lot more value than uh, – than people may initially think from some different spots. So I'm, I'm excited to see who really emerges down the road from, you know, this 20 to 40 group that was so fluid on so many boards. And, you know, there's going to be a handful of guys that come out of that being really good ball players, And I can't wait to see who is. Yeah. We talked about this time and time again, but you know, maybe this draft didn't have the superstar power of some previous drafts, but I think there are going to be a whole lot of long-term NBA role players in that 20 to 40 slash 45 range. And, you know, I think ultimately we will definitely not look back on this draft as the 2000 draft. I mean, again, I could be wildly wrong, but I strongly do not believe that we will look back on this draft as that kind of draft. I think we'll look back on this draft as a draft that had, you know, some really solid players at the top and some real home run swings in the six through 20 ish range. And then a whole lot of solid long-term NBA rotation players throughout the rest of the draft. So I think there's a lot of depth in this draft, a lot more depth than people have been giving it credit for. And it has been a fantastically fun draft to cover. Again, this has been the first year that we've basically done full-time draft coverage here on the NBA deep dives podcast. And Tyler, as always, it has been a pleasure. We did it. We made it through the 2022 NBA draft. And so now, of course, we have a few days rest before the summer league fun begins. Yeah, this this was an awesome year um, for content and fan support and everything all around. So just thank you to everyone who listens, who follows us, who reads us. Um, This year rocked and can't wait for next year. All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And you can find his written work on No Ceilings NBA, as well as hashtag basketball and Canisupis. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find my written work on No Ceilings NBA, as well as hashtag basketball and Nets Republic. That will do it for season six of the NBA Deep Dives podcast. It's crazy to me that I can say that this has been running for six years now. It's been an incredible adventure, a ton of fun, and I'm really looking forward to what we've got ahead. So we will probably start off season seven of the NBA Deep Dives podcast with some summer league stuff. I will be in Las Vegas for summer league with some of the No Ceilings NBA crew, which should be a ton of fun. Got a lot of stuff out there. And of course, it'll be really interesting to see some of these prospects in person. So if you've been following along, please continue to follow along for season seven, as we will have more great draft coverage over here on the NBA Deep Dives podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That is always much appreciated on our end. 
And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening.